0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to St. John the Baptist and our 2019 Lenten retreat. Uh, We are overjoyed to have... A wonderful Shepherd of Christ, Father Michael Sean here. And I'll tell you a little bit about him. He was born and raised in Wichita, Kansas, the son of parents of Lebanese ancestry. He was raised in the Orthodox Church and as a teen began reading theological and patristic works along with church history. As a teen and young adult, he was a leader in youth ministry in his local parish and nationally, especially in the area of music. He was a counselor, evening program director, and song leader, at Antiochian Village Summer Camp for uh, four years. He then attended St. Vladimir's Seminary and graduated with a Master's of Divinity, Cum Laude. During this time, he also helped form Kyriagma, which yes. some of you may know. We have uh, fans in the audience this evening. A contemporary singing group, uh, but of of Orthodox Orthodox contemporary music. Yeah. Um, And they performed around the U.S. and Canada in 1988, 1989. After seminary, he continued in youth ministry and served as the chairman of outreach for his home parish of St. George Cathedral in Wichita. Later, he served for two years as the youth director for a large Orthodox parish in Livonia, Michigan, before meeting Jody Macrina Copeland and marrying in 1997. In 1998, on the same weekend, his wife graduated medical school. He was ordained a deacon of the Antiochian Orthodox Church and served at St. Mary Orthodox Church in Omaha, Nebraska. During this time, he recorded a very popular original original musical album called Living in an Orthodox World. It's available on Ancient Faith Publishing. In 2001, he was ordained to the priesthood and assigned... uh, to the parish of Saints Peter and Paul in Topeka, Kansas. He was then assigned to the new Mission Church of Christ the Savior in Spokane Valley, Washington in 2004 and served there for six years. During this period, he also cultivated a new Mission Church in Wenatchee, Washington and was assigned in 2010 as the pastor of Three Hierarchs Orthodox Church in Wenatchee, which is the first Orthodox Christian parish in north central Washington. Um, Father lives in Wenatchee to this day with his wife, Dr. Macrina Shambour, and their 10-year-old son, Simeon. Uh, the way that you may, many of you may know him is a white book that we have in our bookstore. Uh, it's noticeable for how white it is, and that's called Know the Faith. Uh, and this book, if you don't know this book, I would highly recommend picking it up. So there are many books about orthodoxy, books about comparisons between orthodoxy and other forms of Christianity, but what this book ventures to do, and I think it does quite successfully, is it focuses on key terms that we all take for granted. Things like grace, salvation, justification by faith, and it talks about the way that the Western world understands that in the Protestants and Roman Catholic forms, and then talks about the way that the Orthodox understand that. And this book is, can be indispensable to us because we as Orthodox use these terms, and sometimes we don't even use them in the way that the Church understands them. So, um, And that book has been a, a very popular book on ancient faith since it was published a few years ago. Um, Father recently returned from a a trip to the Holy Land where he was blessed to serve divine liturgy at the Church of the Resurrection, the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, and he has also made two trips to Thessaloniki and Mount Athos, and now a trip to Beaverton, Oregon. So please welcome (laughs) Father Michael Schamblur.
1: Thank you Father Matthew. At first I thought that was my obituary, it was kind of, I was looking forward to the end. Um, well, I don't know what you're going to record here, you can always edit things out, that's, I'm getting feedback a little bit, can you hear me? Um, move it on. well uh, good news and bad news the bad news is that um, you you may know me from some singing albums and and from charygma, but I developed a uh, vocal problem called spasmodic dysphonia and uh, depending on the day and the time of day and what I ate and how much sleep I had the night before. But in general my voice is weaker and uh, it's kind of raspy and so forth. So I ask your forgiveness. I cannot sing anywhere near what I used to. Uh, which, which has been a great sadness for me because that was my joy and that was the way I communicated a lot with people was through music I was not a public speaker so I can't sing now so I'm trying to talk so see how that goes Um, I want to thank Father Matthew your very dear and sweet priest Um, he's he's just so easy to love and to like and uh, I like him even more because he took me to a Lebanese restaurant this evening. (laughs) Which, you know, we don't have one in Wenatchee, Washington which is a very sad thing too. Uh, But he'll always be my friend because he took me to the Lebanese restaurant. (laughs) The only thing I have against him is, and this is serious, he likes uh, they called? Pickled pickled turnips. I I couldn't think of turnips for some reason. Actually, nobody's perfect, so my dad loves these. I don't know, it seems to be a, a Lebanese thing. My dad loves pickled turnips, and I've just always hated them from childhood. Haven't been able to get over that. Okay. I thank Father Matthew from the bottom of my heart. I also thank Paraskavi Witten uh, for inviting, having the idea to invite me uh, to Beaverton, and I met her daughter Christine, as God's providence would have it. I met her at the monastery today. So, and she loves her mother, which is a wonderful thing. So. What else did I want to begin with here? Oh, I did, I do want to congratulate you, those here from St. John the Baptist in Beaverton, um, for such a beautiful, uh, building such a beautiful community. And uh, I want to thank you for that and congratulate you. And thank God for this mission, what used to be a mission, and now after 20 plus years it's not a mission but a a really thriving Uh, community. And a disciplined Orthodox community. A Christ-loving Orthodox community. Uh, Just so wonderful. So I thank God. And I heard you have about 120 families or so. Uh, Father Matthew asked how many we have at our mission. Three hierarchs in Wenatchee, Washington. I said we have 80 people. Which is okay. That's about, it turns out to be about 25 or 30 families. But you know, sometimes people come into into orthodoxy one at a time. And the way our culture is now, it's not always families. But we we, we're very, we have an amazing community. And we've done amazing things there. I I don't want to talk about that. But uh, let's So let's kind of delve into um, our talk today and for the weekend. Our topic is called The Way of Escape, Overcoming Temptation and Sin. So I have to say ahead of time though, I am no expert at overcoming sin. I've done quite the opposite in much of my life. but. Have learned what the Church Fathers say in some on some level about overcoming sin. So I look forward to presenting that to you. I'm going to, the very first part, I'm going to kind of try to go a little bit quickly because we have so much material. Um, we have to get to it and I've already taken some time here. So if this first part is a little disjointed it's because I'm going, I'm jumping a little bit. But I do want to talk just a little bit about um, where this phrase comes from, the way of escape, that God will provide a way of escape from temptation. And I want to give you a little bit of context. So the passage comes from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And the Greek says bear up under it. To be able to bear it. So we know that there is no Christian life without temptation. Saint Anthony the Great said very bluntly, whoever has not experienced temptation cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So that makes you kind of want to experience temptation. By the way, who has experienced temptation here? Okay. And I'm going to ask who has, who knows the stages of temptation according to the church fathers? Anybody? I'm glad that you may not know because that means we're going to learn something. So, so we cannot be saved without temptation. St. Anthony says without temptations no one could be saved. If we were going to text that today we would say no temptation, no salvation. Okay, everything's short today, we keep it text size. I would say that in Great Lent, in Great Lent we experience this in particular Particularly intensely. Because of our fasting and prayer, the devil wants to destroy everything good that can possibly come from that. And it seems to me that in Great Lent, God gives the devil a little bit more leash. Because see, the devil, he doesn't do things on his own. He does everything with God's providence of permission. And you know those, those leashes that you can get those dog leashes where the dog can pull you know, but you can control how much leash you give him. I think God gives a little extra leash to the devil for our benefit. I believe it was Saint Paisios of Mount Athos he gave thanks to God. He would talk to the devil and say, oh thank you for that temptation, it reminds me that I need to do God's will. So wonderful. Okay, so during our time together, we're going to contemplate how temptation works and what St. Paul means by the way of escape. To give you a little context, let's go to the verses before the verse I read. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 through 5 Moreover brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ but with most of them God was not well pleased and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So did you catch that? The apostle is hearkening back to the time when the people of Israel were in the desert seeking to enter the promised land. And listen to the language Saint Paul uses. He says All were under the cloud. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. What does the cloud and the sea represent? What is the cloud? The Holy Spirit and the sea is the water of baptism. It says that they were baptized. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And then it says, and all ate the same spiritual food. What was the food? The manna, the bread from heaven. So, the people of Israel, in in a way that was anticipatory, were experiencing the sacramental life in a sense. They were experiencing God's grace. They were experiencing Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus. But what happened? With most of them, God was not well pleased. And then Saint Paul tells us I'm not going to read this passage but he tells us the sins that they fell into idolatry worshiping false gods sexual immorality and the third one get ready it's big complaining complaining what's going on here so They were participants in the mysteries of God, like we Orthodox Christians at least claim we are, and we we do indeed participate in the mysteries of God. They dwelt within the fold of the church of that time, the Old Testament church, but the majority of them still fell into temptation. That's what St. Paul is telling us and so at the very end he says therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed be careful lest he fall now what is this complaining thing what is about the complaining we we kind of chuckled and I made light of it when we said complaining but complaining is actually truly a big sin and the people of Israel found that out so here's what happened moses sent 12 spies into the promised land to see what was going on there and what they were what they were up against in terms of the people there and the armies and so forth and the spies came back and they said The people are strong, their cities are large and fortified, and the descendants of Anak are there. They're like giants, big people, and 10 out of 12 of them said, we ain't going. Caleb and Joshua said, no, we have to go. God will save us most of the people said we're not going and that night most of the people couldn't sleep because they knew they were supposed to go in to this foreign land they couldn't sleep they had anxiety they were groaning they were complaining they were saying they're going to destroy us and their imaginations went wild and they even said compared to, to compared to them, we're like grasshoppers. We're just little insects and they're huge. So their imagination went wild and they said, why did God bring us into this place? Let's go back to Egypt and they wanted to vote a new leader in. They wanted to impeach Moses. So They cried out the whole night. And the Lord told Moses that all of those who murmured against him would not enter into the promised land. Interesting. I think maybe the sexual immorality could be forgiven, the idolatry could be forgiven, but once you've lost your faith in God, your hope in God, How can you overcome any temptation? And so why was it such a great sin? It's because they did not trust that the Lord had provided the way of escape. A way through, a way to the other side. Their their faith was gone. In fact Joseph and Caleb called it apostasy. That's a big sin. That's one of the major um, sins. And it was connected with this complaining um, and murmuring. So I understand that you all are looking toward the future and you're looking to build perhaps a new facility, a new church. Be careful. Don't murmur. Don't complain. Father didn't ask me to say that, by the way. I really uh, adjure you, exhort you in Christ not to do that. It is a great sin. So, God help us. We are all, we're all um, susceptible temptation. So that's just a little introduction uh, and giving you a little bit of the context of what the Holy Apostle was talking about when he talked about the way of escape from temptation. So now let's begin. We're going to uh, begin by introducing the stages of temptation according to the church fathers. This is so important uh, because if we don't understand the stages we don't understand how to keep ourselves uh, from sin. I'm going to begin with a story. It's a true story. Happened to me now decades ago when I was in my twenties. I established a pattern for a period of time of jogging late at night I usually was a night person I was a night person back then and I had a lot of energy so I, I would jog during the night I wasn't a morning person by the way I'm no longer an evening person a night person either I have a few good hours in between somewhere <laughs> but. I took the usual route along the quiet residential streets and it was pretty dark. There was an occasional street light that illumined the street but it was dark and something happened that stayed with me obviously till this day. I was more than a mile from my home and from out of the corner of my eye Well, first, the corner of my ear, I heard a sound. I heard a bark. And then out of the corner of my eye, in the darkness, in the shadows, I see a dog. And he's barking. And not only that, but he took off after me. And immediately my reaction, my response was to just take off running. And the dog took off after me. And it was a ferocious dog. It was, the barking was just something that was frightening me to death. And as I'm running, I can feel the dog on my heels. I have really long legs. My cassock kind of covers that up. But I have like a 38 inseam. My legs were like about five feet ahead of my body. I was running that fast. I could feel the dog behind me. All of this was happening in a matter of seconds. I really was scared for my life. I decided I started running toward a house because I was going to run to the door and knock on the door, scare the daylights out of somebody probably, but in case I was getting chewed up at least I'd have a chance for someone to save me. And like I said in a matter of seconds something changed. I thought to myself this is ridiculous. I'm why am I why am I running scared like this? I've got I've got to take courage. I've got to I've got to turn around and just accept my fate and fight and fight back. And I was angry all of a sudden. I was angry that this dog, this animal, had kind of sparked this in me. There was a sense of anger and embarrassment. And so I turned. I turned around. My fists were clenched. I'm not sure that's the way to fight a dog. But this is what men do this dog that had been barking wildly stopped in front of me and I'm breathing hard really hard I'm exhausted I look at the dog the dog sits down tilts its head we look at each other and it just turned around and trotted off back home (laughs) It wasn't as big as I thought it was either. (laughs) Needless to say, I was physically and emotionally drained and I was unable to jog anymore and I walked home with my tail between my legs, I would say. So what does this have to do with temptation? I'm going to use this story throughout the weekend to uh, to illustrate various stages of temptation and it's really kind of my little icon of the process of temptation and sin. So, understanding the process of temptation. Before we go into the stages, many of us probably don't realize There are stages in the process of temptation. It doesn't, it's not just one thing, it's not just one event. There's a process, there are steps. But here's the problem. We usually and often experience temptation as if it's just a single moment, a single event. So we say, oh, I can't believe I got so angry. How did that happen? It's like a car, you know, that goes from zero to sixty in three seconds. We, we have the Pavlov's dogs kind of problem. You ring the bell and the dogs salivate. Just in a moment, in a moment of time. And also, sometimes it's because of our lack of attention. We don't, we haven't yet paid attention. Um, and so, as an example, you know, if you've ever been in a car accident, you're like, they ask you, well, what were you doing? Well, I don't know. I don't know what happened before the accident. I just, you know, it, it wasn't in my conscious mind. So this is the problem that we we don't experience temptation initially until we're aware we don't experience it as a process that we can delineate and therefore we can kind of be aware of and not let it continue. So We are not compelled to sin. Just because there's a temptation doesn't mean there is sin involved, as we're going to see. Elder Paisios said, when you say that the devil is to blame for your sins, you slander the devil. (laughs) Stop slandering the devil. It's your fault. And Saint Anthony said to Abba Poeman, this is the great work of man, always to take the blame for his own sins before God and to accept, to expect temptation to his last breath. So, we've got to see it in that, in that light. And Here's what St. Mark the ascetic said about th- why it's important to be aware of the process of temptation. He says, if someone has not perceived this general process of sinning, when will he pray about it and be cleansed of it? And if he, is, if he has not been cleansed, how will he find purity of nature? And if he has not found this, how will he behold the inner dwelling place of Christ? So clearly, according to St. Mark, it's very important that we understand this process. Okay, so the stages of temptation according to the Holy Fathers. There is remarkable agreement on the stages of temptation by all of the Holy Fathers with just sometimes some variation in detail. And here is a quote from Saint Hezekios the priest from the Philokalia that provides the four basic fundamental stages. He says the provocation comes first when, and then our coupling with it or the mingling of our thoughts with those of the wicked demons. Third comes our assent to the provocation. Fourth comes the concrete actions that is the sin itself. So let's write those down the stages of temptation what what was the first one were you listening wow you were listening a lot of people were listening provocation is the first stage what was number 2 very good what a good attentive crowd we got here third Ascent. Are you sure you didn't know this already? And number four. Yeah, we can say action. action, And we can say, we'll find out, we can say passion. And we can say sin here, perhaps. Okay, so what we're going to do this weekend then is, um, at least in the first two talks, this talk and the next talk, we're gonna we're gonna define these stages and just talk about it a bit. If you have a question, raise your hand. Um, when it comes to provocation, what is a provocation? Usually, it's something that starts a conflict, right? To provoke someone means to try to agitate or annoy them or to inflame them. To try to get a reaction out of somebody. To goad or to needle someone. Um, It can be like a bully trying to start a fight, you talking to me. So here's a true story about how a provocation can occur. There was a gathering of the church, I believe this was at a hotel, and there was a priest who was giving a spiritual talk to a group of teenagers. As the priest was talking, one of the boys starts looking at one of the other boys, and he gives him the evil eye, gives him kind of a bad look. The other guy, the other kid, gives him a bad look back. And they, they were total strangers, but they ended up in the bathroom in a fist fight. And of course, you know, the, the typical chaos then ensued. So there were no words. No words were exchanged. But the boys provoked each other just by their facial um, gestures. And you know, you who are parents, you know how the kids can provoke each other. Poke here, poke there, you know. Um, It's pretty easy. Happens with the kids all the time, this provocative nature. To be provocative can also mean to excite or to seduce a very provocative woman, a provocative image. There are way too many of those these days, right? And we're going to talk about images uh, tomorrow. It's very important to this to this uh, process. Um, You know, with Facebook and social media and and ads and everything now, um, it used to be, I think, really where I saw the provocative images was going into the grocery store in the checkout, at the checkout counter, you know, with the magazines and the, you know, I kind of thought for a while I thought that's why they call it a checkout counter. (laughs) Check that out. In the spiritual life a provocation can do all the things that we mentioned, but in the simplest sense And what we mean, what we mean here is a suggestion, just a suggestion. One night, years ago, when I was away from my home, my wife woke up in the middle of the night with, and she thought she heard a voice, and the voice said, Andrea's dead. Who's Andrea? Her sister, one of her sisters. She was understandably disturbed and shaken so in a panic she called her dad at two in the morning. Her dad is a priest. When her dad answered the phone she told him what she had heard and he said to her, Macrina? don't listen to the voices. Click. He perceived that this was a provocation from the devil. This is how the devil tries to cause disturbance in our soul. St. John of Damascus says a provocation is a simple suggestion coming from the enemy like do this or do that. Such as our Lord himself experienced when he heard the word command these stones to become bread. Now listen to this he ends in this way he says it is not within our power to prevent provocations. It is not within our power to prevent provocation. In the jogging story with the dog the provocation was the barking of the dog. Just an innocent bark in the distance. A little sensory stimulation. It didn't require any reaction on my part. It didn't require that I engage in any speculation or imagination. I didn't need to focus on it. It was simply what it was, a bark, a bark. Saint John of the Ladder calls a provocation a simple word or image encountered for the first time. St. Mark the ascetic says it's an an image-free stimulation. Like I said, we'll talk about images tomorrow. What's important right now is that every sin and every temptation begins with a thought. Whether we're conscious of it or not. Now there's two levels of thoughts. Active thoughts And passive thoughts. So where do do these things come from? Where do these thoughts come from? And what I'm calling an active thought is actually the use of our reasoning. This is the God-given ability for us to reason. It's logical deduction it's our rational mind our reasoning power so this is active thinking like we our son or daughter gets a christmas present like a lego set that has to be put to, together we have to read the instructions ok how does this work step one step two step three um, or if, figuring out how to solve a problem or how to build a house. or These are all things that we do with our reasoning mind. Now the passive thoughts though are very different than active reasoning. Our passive thoughts, I'm going to say they come from three sources generally. The evil thoughts, Come from three sources. The first is the devil. These thoughts are called Logos me in Greek. Logos me, so logos meaning word or a thought. A Logos me is an intrusive thought. It just, boom, intrudes into your mind or heart. Now has anybody, anyone ever been driving on the road and suddenly you had a thought in your mind you should drive off the road or you should hit this person with the car. Anybody? Man you guys are sick. <laughs> you need therapy. I know I've had those thoughts too. Where did that come from? Did that come from your rational mind? Did that come from active thinking? Did it come from aggression? Probably not. It came from the evil one. So, these are called logismi. And as we said, it's a suggestion. Think about the temptations of Christ as Saint John of Damascus said stones to bread. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from the temple. And the third one, fall down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. The big difference between the Lord and us is that the Lord had no sinful passion within him for the devil to use. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow as well. What are the raw materials for temptation? What is it? There has to be something. The devil has to use something inside of us to tempt us. Otherwise, it's like the Lord. He just has to show him something and say, I'll give you this. St. James in his epistle, the first chapter, he says, each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. What St. James calls the desires are what we typically call passions passions desires jesus said to the pharisees why do thoughts arise in your hearts why do why do these thoughts arise out of your thought uh, out of your heart so our desires lead us to they become the raw materials to lead us to sin i want more money and therefore I do things that are a little bit illicit to get money and the devil continues he uses greed. He uses my greed to his benefit. I desire more attention and praise. That's vainglory and pride. I want that person for my pleasure. That's lust and covetousness. I don't want to fast. It's ridiculous. That's willfulness, rebelliousness. Okay, so I actually jumped, I think I jumped a little bit here. I said that the first source of thoughts are the devil and I don't think I said the second source are our passions. So somebody should have told me, the second source I was just talking about are the passions or the desires. So those are the desires or the passions that reside in our hearts. That's the second source of um, evil thoughts that helped to tempt us. The third source is what we call, what the scriptures call, the world. The world, the sinful world. And these are things that are presented to us externally, that come not from within us but from without. The Pharisees tempted Jesus, come down from the cross, if you're the Son of God. And We know about these kinds of um, temptations. Somebody comes to us and they uh, insult us and they accuse us of things that we didn't do. These are temptations from the world, from living in the world in a sinful world. Sometimes it's just a news story that you see and we become angry and upset and overwhelmed and so forth. Okay, so the devil, our passions, or desires, and the world. There are, I just wanna state, that there are thoughts from a pure heart. So as our heart becomes pure, our thoughts become pure. Um, Saint Paisios, again, of the holy mountain said, you know, if you have a machine that makes bullets, um, like a sinful heart, if your heart is like a machine that produces ugly things like bullets, doesn't matter what you put into it. If you put wood into it, it's going to make wood bullets. If you put brass into it, it's going to make brass bullets that kill people. If you put gold in it, it's going to put gold, it's going to make gold bullets. There's still bullets. Um, And we could have a thought, and we could have thoughts from God. But we have to be really, really, really careful to think that our thoughts are from God. Um, But this this certainly can happen and could happen. Alright. What are we to do with our thoughts? In general, let's let's uh, illustrate with a little story from the Desert Fathers. There was a disciple complaining to his spiritual father, Father, I just keep having thoughts. You know, I can't stop having thoughts. And the spiritual father said, okay, I want you to breathe without expanding your lungs. And the disciple says, it's impossible. Then he says, "Well, talk without expelling breath." And again, the spiritual father said, "Impossible!" Or excuse me, the disciple said, "This is impossible." And his spiritual father said, "Neither can you shut off your thoughts, but you don't have to pay attention to them." Okay, this is what gets us into trouble. Is paying attention to our thoughts. Let's say I have a thought. Father Michael, you were really quite the basketball player at one time. Why don't you try out for the Portland Trailblazers? Do you think I should give any attention to that thought? Why not? You haven't, well, you haven't seen me play basketball lately. Elder Paisios, Saint Paisios likened thoughts to airplanes flying overhead, right? Some of you know. I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, not far from McConnell Air Force Base. and. We had airplanes flying over constantly. It was, it was. on the one hand we were kind of used to it, on the other hand it was very disturbing. Some of them were so loud. We'd be out playing basketball and we'd have to cover our ears. It was so loud. Saint Paisio said that our hearts are like an airport. We can't just let any thought land at our airport. We have to discern what kind of airplane it is and what its cargo is. What is it carrying? So he said we should let sinful thoughts fly on by and don't let them land in the airstrip of our heart. We simply don't give them clearance to land we have a judgmental thought sorry air traffic control says you cannot land just fly by and so we br- if we have a, if we have a difficult thought if we have a sinful thought if we have a crazy thought we just brush it off as if a fly landed on our nose we brush it off we don't pay attention to it Andrea is dead How much sleep do we lose with listening to the Andrea is dead thoughts? So we simply ignore those thoughts. The fathers say don't trust your thoughts. Don't trust your own thoughts. Doesn't mean like you question everything you think about. Remember there's a difference between active thinking and passive thinking. If, if you're doing active thinking that means you say when I leave this church I'm gonna open the door before I leave. That's active thinking. Uh, like, cause if you don't you're gonna run into the door. But we're talking about the passive thoughts. We don't listen to our passive thoughts. We don't trust them. Um, And so this is important in terms of um, how we deal with these provocations. This is the first stage. Just a suggestion. You should do this. This would be pleasurable. I could get away with this, you know. All of these thoughts, many of which come from the devil and the demons. They know us. They can't read our thoughts, but they've been watching us very closely from childhood. They know our weaknesses and so they know where to, where to poke and where to hit. And they send us provocations that, uh, that we are more likely to receive. They watch us. If they see that we have an anger problem, they're going to, they're going to uh, give us opportunities with anger. They're going to put something in somebody else's mind to come tell you, tell you off. So, um, what do we do? We, we just ignore those thoughts. Okay, we have about 25 minutes left in the session. We want to make sure we have time for questions, if there are any. I would like to talk about coupling before we end this evening, but um, do we have any questions? at this point. You want to provoke me? <laughs> I get really angry when you ask questions. Father? If anyone has a question, you have a microphone. Oh, OK. OK. I don't think, I think they're afraid of me. They don't want to provoke me. All right, let's move on, then. Um
0: question, uh-huh. Father. active dogs be a provocation?
1: Can active thoughts be a provocation? Can an active thought be a provocation? You know, I I don't claim to be able to answer that perfectly, but what I would say is that um, what we're talking about when we say an active thought is the act of reasoning. Yes, we can falsely reason, right? We can be illogical, we can um, we can come up with all kinds of reasons that there is no God in our mind. There's no God, we might say, and we might think we have a lot of reasons for that. It's not true. And so, uh, but it's not the same as if the devil sends you a thought and says there's no God. Um, we've had those thoughts too, right? Out of the blue, out of nowhere. Um, But we can actively think in the wrong way, right? Just because it's active thinking doesn't mean it's correct. And an architect can actively think about how to design a building and the building can fall over, you know, because there's mistakes. So the way to answer that is just to say we are fallen beings and that includes our reasoning power, our active thoughts. And in that sense we could tempt ourselves, right? Because we could rationalize doing something with our logic we can rationalize doing about anything. Yes? So what happens, so is it
0: an external thing or an internal thing when something from your past, a memory,
1: comes out of the blue. Is it mine that I have brought to mind? Or is it something that somebody has reminded me about that they now want me to re-engage with? Both. All of the above. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Specifically, we're going to talk about memories. That's a huge part of uh, temptation. The more sinful memories we have, um, the worse, the worse the potential for temptation, right? But we have hope in God. So we'll talk about that in detail uh, tomorrow. But yeah, the memory could come from just walking into a home. The memory can come from what is imprinted on our hearts and the memory can also come from the devil. Hey, remember that time? Remember that guy? You need to give him a piece of your mind. So that could come from different sources but the source, the real source, is is the actual event which has been imprinted on your heart. Okay? Yes ma'am. So in, back to the active versus passive. So if you're actively dealing with a situation where you're
0: trying to problem solve,
1: yes. but then
0: in that aspect of trying to think through what are we going to do about this or that, it stirs up more of a sinful response of worry or anxiety or those kinds of things. Mm
1: -hmm. Is
0: that something you're going to address later too?
1: (laughs) Uh, Am I going to address that? Well, yeah, I would say I will be addressing that when I talk about the passions because you're talking about anxiety or it could be anger or something like something else but those things can be put in the category of passions of sinful passions that that have become habitual or not necessarily habitual but they reside in our heart and so they distort the decision-making process and yes they can come in and they can cause us to reach a sinful conclusion That's why a lot of times we pick up the phone and call our spiritual father. Every time you have a temptation I want you to call Father Matthew. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, do you mind if I come down here? I feel like I'm too far from you. Good questions. One back here. is the process or
0: how do you ignore those passive thoughts like when they come into your mind?
1: Uh, do you do you remember did anybody see that movie a beautiful mind? Did you? Yeah. Uh, okay well it was about it was a true story about a, a brilliant man who uh, had schizophrenia schizophrenia. Um, and it was interesting because so in the movie they would show you what he was seeing even though it wasn't reality and he would see these particular people who would talk to him and, and encourage him or badger him or whatever the case may be and this almost destroyed his life and his marriage and his career but what he learned to do, and you see it in this movie, see it's, it's a good movie to watch. It's a good clean movie if I remember. Um, what he did is that he simply he he even he didn't he didn't overcome the illness completely because he still saw those people. But he knew that they were not real. And so he just ignored them. And in the movie it shows them being pretty sad about that. He doesn't play with us anymore. You know. So um, how do you ignore anything? You just ignore it. Um, You don't give it your attention. And you don't engage with it and you don't allow it to like engage something inside of you. Like emotional detachment. Actually the Church Fathers talk a lot about spiritual detachment. We have to detach they say from everything in the world. Mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife. That doesn't mean we don't love them. The only way that we actually really love is by being completely detached, because if we're if we're uh, connected, like if you think about this image of codependency, you know, where you don't know where you end and where the other person begins, then we just we're just reacting to everything. We don't do anything of our free will. It's all compulsive. It's just a reaction. But if we're truly detached then we can do what's right. We can do God's will. We can use money as an example. We're supposed to be detached from money. That's why Jesus Christ, the Lord gives us uh, the practice of almsgiving. Why does he want us to give alms? Is it just to help the poor? I don't believe so. He said the poor you will always have with you. We're always going to have poor people but he wants us to give alms so that we will get used to being detached from our money. We don't need it. Here, I'll give it to you. Um, Because, and then then we can really do good things with our money, right? Without some kind of motive or emotional drama involved. And the same is true with with people, with possessions, and and all of that. So to get back to temptation and thoughts, we have to we have to simply disengage and say, that's not for me to listen to. You know, and if we if we say that's from the devil, I why why do we want to listen to the devil? That's what Eve did. Eve, she listened to the devil. We're gonna get into that when we talk about the next stage coupling. We need to listen to the word of God. We don't need to listen to the devil. And um, usually when we get a thought from the devil, an intrusive thought, a logismi, it disturbs the soul. It causes the soul worry, or anxiety, or anger, or a sense of disturbance. That's a good rule. It's a good rule of that, you know, if you want to know if you had an intrusive thought, did it bring peace to your soul? If it's a thought from God, it's going to bring peace. Or did it bring This agitation and disturbance. So um, ignore it. Ignore anything that brings you agitation or disturbance generally speaking. There are times when we're afraid to do something and we need to do it anyway. We're afraid to do something good or do God's will. Just have to be, but we have to be careful. Here's another question. What if what if the thought is that uh, and, and it disturbs your soul that it's going that it's somebody else is going to be harmed that it's going to attack somebody else? If we have a thought that someone is going to be harmed, yeah, but you know this thought and, is from not from God? You know that this thought is not a good thought. And you, it's just a fear that. Yeah well recently my wife decided that my son could ride his bike to to school. And uh, we were sitting at the dinner table I think and I that that topic came up and I, I wasn't involved in the conversation or in the decision. Probably that's a good thing. But I said to my wife that scares me. I started thinking about Traffic and he's ten years old and just one mistake and God forbid. Okay, but I mean and I and I realized I just have to let go of that because yes, anything can happen, but he's a good boy, he's responsible, he's his mother has taught him well, and he you know. I have to trust in God. So, um, there are good thoughts, by the way, that come from the devil. Um, for instance, I'm a priest in Wenatchee, Washington, and the devil says to me, "Look at you! You're not doing anything. I mean, these people in Wenatchee—they could be—they could have anyone for a priest, any old priest. You have a gift for." compassion for the poor. You should go to Africa and start a ministry to the poor. No. No, I shouldn't. And my my bishop would tell me that immediately. No, you shouldn't. So, and, you know, you have a monk on Mount Athos and the devil tells him something like that. What are you doing? You're just, all you do every day is pray and work and, you know, the abbot's kind of mean and grumpy and you should go do something productive. So, and it might be good. Like I said, go serve the poor. You know, but it's not good. Because a monk is supposed to be saving his soul and praying for the world. And very rarely is he going to start something like that, but with God. But he, he may, he may start something like that, but with his, with his abbot's blessing, like Saint Cosmas Italia. You know, he went and he was a missionary and preached to the Greeks and the Albanians. He revived, he brought a revival of Orthodox Christianity there, but that's the exception, not the rule. And clearly that didn't come from the devil he was already purified. So that's the key. If we're purified and illumined, you know, we're gonna see really clearly and we're gonna know what to do and we're gonna be able to discern the thoughts and where and which airplanes contain what cargo. Anybody else? Let's see where we can go here. <clears throat> what do you think, Father? Should I...
0: Started a little late.
1: Okay, okay. We'll go as far as we can. Okay, so stage two then is coupling. So we, we had just a suggestion and now we move into the second stage. Before I heard the dog bark, I had no thought about the possibility of a dog being anywhere around me. I was no more in danger before I heard it than after. The dog had been there all the time. So what was the difference? The difference is that I began to pay attention to the barking and then I began to deliberate in, in my thoughts about it and react and panic and that's a decent definition of coupling. Coupling is kind of a subtle um, stage, a subtle event that goes on. Here's what St. Peter of Damascus says, he defines coupling as the following, to entertain a particular thought and to parley with it. How many of you like to parley? You like to party, Jody, not parley. Um, We don't use that term parley anymore. To parley is to enter into dialogue with someone. To discuss or to deliberate or to confer. So in order to cross from the first stage into the second stage, we have to begin to entertain the idea. We have to begin to have a conversation, to give it attention. I mentioned Eve. Okay, how should The book of Genesis, how should things have gone? It should have gone like this. Okay, God had told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree, just don't eat of that tree, otherwise you'll die. And I'll be sad. You're my creation. Don't do that. And the serpent comes up to Eve and says, hey, did God tell you not to eat of the tree? And here's where it should have ended. Eve should have said, no, you get away from me. I'm not talking to you, goodbye. And it would have been done. And there would be no pain or suffering or sadness in the world. But she began the conversation and that was her downfall, right? So, let's say I'm a married woman. These days, you can say that. I guess. Um, sorry, I kind of lost my place. <laughs> this I was going to say. This this happened to us on the level of the thoughts, but you know, it also applies to could be conversation that we have with other people. Now let's say I'm a married woman and things haven't been going well in my marriage. My husband works all the time. He's emotionally unavailable. This never happens. He's not affectionate. He's an, And then I see an attractive man, an old friend. He comes up to me at the grocery store and he begins talking with me and it's kind of flirting and Is it best to engage in that conversation? She might justify her actions. Oh, I don't want to be rude. But then the man begins asking her about herself and she opens up to him a little bit about her life and he asks what she enjoys doing and she says, "Oh, I do this and I do that and he's really taking an interest He really thinks she's fantastic. You're so talented. You're so gifted. And unlike her husband, he listens to her. And he's really appreciative of her. Then she says to herself, I shouldn't be doing this. But now she's kind of captivated. Right? And he says, we should get together sometime and talk again. For coffee. Okay. Probably not a good idea, right? Now, I picked on the woman, so pick on the men. So, there's a man and he sees a prostitute on the street. He stops his car, he gets out, he says, Hey, what's your name? And how's business? <laughs> How much do you charge? What's your phone number? Why would I be asking those things? So, this is opening the door for most men for a big mistake, unless I said like we're completely purified of the passions. I want to just mention, I love this saint, I don't know his name, I can't remember, and hopefully it'll come up back in the synaxarion and I'll, I'll know his name. But this saint had incredible purity. What he would do, he he would beg for alms during the days and pray at night. After he got enough alms collected, he would go to a brothel and he would hire a prostitute. They would go up into the bedroom. He'd give her the money and then he would sit in the corner all night and pray for her. Why? Well to pray for her but also in order to keep her from sinning that night. And he would just pray for her and then the next day he would begin collecting alms again and once he got enough alms he would hire someone else out of love to keep that woman from sinning. So I said that coupling means to parley with the provocation. The more technical meaning of the word parley is to discuss terms with an enemy. What are you doing when you discuss terms with an enemy? You're going to be negotiating exactly and you're going to be uh, compromising. How much do we compromise with the devil? How much should we compromise with the devil? Zero. Zero. Okay. We're on the parish council and someone makes a snide remark to us. We have a thought. Hey, did he just insult you? Now we begin coupling. I think he did insult me. As a matter of fact, that's not the first time. Why did he do that? He doesn't like me. Who does he think he is? So it's a little conversation. That may have even gone further, I think, than coupling. In, In my case, when the dog barked, it diverted my attention. What is that? It's a dog and it seems like it's running toward me. It sounds vicious. He's probably going to kill me. Run for your life! That's how it works. Okay? This stage of coupling is very subtle, and I would venture to say that most of us do it hundreds of times a day, at least, without even noticing. But it's important to begin practicing catching ourselves if we're going to keep ourselves from moving further into a temptation and sin. It takes practice. It's not for mentally, spiritually lazy people. This is why laziness is a sin. Did you know that the three foundational sins from which all sins come from, according to the Church Fathers, are ignorance, ignorance, forgetfulness, and carelessness. Actually, carelessness goes along with laziness. Ignorance, forgetfulness, and laziness. You can say ignorance of, you know, Saint John Chrysostom said the, the root of all evil is the ignorance of the scriptures. If you don't know the scriptures, how can you know what the will of God is? Um, forgetfulness. We forget God. We forget. We just go on about our lives as if he doesn't exist. And so carelessness and laziness. Um, We can also see why the church tells us that we can't really draw near to God without making some effort. We call it asceticism. Ascesis training. The word asceticism comes from the word for training in sports, the way an athlete trains. So if we're going to do all this we have to be able to restrain our passions with fasting and bodily discipline and prayer and all of that is supposed to redirect our energies because we have all these, we have all this energy and what happened in the fall is that our energies became scattered. That's what produces the passions. When the energies are refocused and aligned, directed, redirected toward God, then everything becomes healed and and uh, the passions go away, they dissipate. The passions become actually energy that goes towards zeal for God and desire for God and that informs our heart and our mind with the knowledge of God. So we can't become aware of our thoughts if our energy is scattered, our attention is scattered all over the place. St. John of the Ladder says that our news, our spiritual attention is like a dog in a butcher shop. (laughs) It's just all over the place. Okay, have a few more minutes what is the pres- the prescription for provocation and coupling? What medicine do all the saints prescribe for dealing with provocations? It's anybody have an idea? Well, you have to be watchful. Watchfulness. Watchfulness. We call them the Neptic Fathers. Neptic, it means to be watchful. That's hesychia. When we use that term hesychasm, it means we're we're aware. And you know, there's kind of a good thing in some ways, depending on how it's used. These days in our society, people like to talk about mindfulness. Okay, well, if it's, if it's not brought with a bunch of baggage, but we have to be in the present moment and aware. And this is watchfulness. St. Ezekiel gives us a good definition. Watchfulness is a continual fixing and halting of thought at the entrance of the heart. So we stand guard at the entrance of our heart. He says, in this way, predatory and murderous thoughts are marked down, they're noted, as they approach, and what they say and do is noted. And we can see in what specious and delusive forms the demons are trying to deceive the news. If we are conscientious in this, we can gain much experience and knowledge of spiritual warfare. Simple. Right. Um, we're told that the that some of the saints, many of the saints, they could see a thought coming from outside. They could. They became so aware. They could see a thought coming, and they could just knock it away. It's simple, but it's difficult to do because of our fallen condition. Our fallen condition, by definition, is that our news, and I don't really have time to define that. Has anyone heard about the news? The news, just call it our spiritual eye or our spiritual attention, is scattered. That's the definition of a fallen human being, is that the noose, the energy of the noose, is scattered into the material world, into material things, as opposed to being directed to God, contemplating God. Like the prodigal son, our noose has left its father's house, the heart, and it seeks all kinds of distractions and temporary pleasures to stimulate it. Our our inattentiveness causes us to be negligent or careless. If we can't focus on what we should be doing, we won't remember the Lord and we'll get distracted and fall asleep spiritually. Remember the Apostles. The Lord said Watch and pray. And I'm going over here to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He came back. The three preeminent apostles were sleeping. He said, wake up, can't you watch and pray? Three times they fell asleep. So, let us attend. How many times do we hear that in the church services? The Orthodox spiritual life is mainly about attentiveness. If you know what you're supposed to be attentive to. It's all about attentiveness. If we've truly learned to be attentive we'll be able to see temptations coming, recognize them for what they are, and close the door to them. Saint Ezekiel says, our noose is to be the doorkeeper of our heart in order to bar entry to evil thoughts. In this way, we keep from being deceived and beginning a conversation with the provocation. Our heart has a doorknob only on the inside. We can open it for Christ or we can open it for sin. Remember that the Lord said, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The same should be true of what we entertain in our thoughts. If we are not definitive about what is acceptable and what is not, we will eventually fall. That's why for young people who are not married, especially today, they have to make a definitive decision to remain pure. They have to say, no matter what, I'm going to remain pure and virgin before marriage. Otherwise, if they haven't made that decision ahead of time, it's too late to make it in the midst of a difficult, tempting situation. We often mistake thoughts that are sent by the devil as our own thoughts. This is huge. If if orthodoxy could simply communicate this one thing to everybody in the world, it would be like a miracle, it could be life-changing. Our thoughts, the thoughts that we have are not our thoughts. What we think, the things that we think, most of the time, oftentimes, certainly the ones that are from the devil, they're not us. They're not who we are. You are not what you think. We have thoughts sometimes and we say, oh I'm a terrible person. How could I have thought that? I must be just awful. This is another reason not to pay attention to your thoughts because we get into that kind of thing and then I'm hearing confessions from people who hate themselves and think that they're terrible people of a thought that they had. That's not, that doesn't belong to us. Those are not who we are. Our thoughts do not make up who we are. It's a big mistake. This has led some people into delusion, spiritual delusion and mental illness. Some people have become crazy just by listening to their thoughts, supposedly their thoughts. The devil's provocations that's what they really are. So, I could give other examples. You know, a young man has a thought from the devil. I'm kind of attracted to another boy. Oh, well, I had that thought, I must be attracted to boys. And if I'm, I must be gay. So, if I'm gay, I probably should just be gay. And next thing you know, they are. They're not gay because there is no such thing. They're practicing homosexual acts. Yes, if you want to say that there is gayness in the sense that people can be attracted to the opposite sex. Yes, that happens. that That's a cross that some people have. We all have crosses. We have addictions and all kinds of crosses. We all have sins sinfulness that we're particularly um, susceptible to. But just because we had a thought doesn't mean we it belongs to us and this is who we are. So this is how we end up coupling without noticing. We cozy up to a provocation, mistaking it for our real self, for an expression of who we really are. But nothing could be further from the truth. Saint Diodecos of Photiki explains that evil thoughts are not a product of our real selves of how God created us. But many are deceived to think precisely this. He says, it is true that the heart produces good and bad thoughts from itself. Luke 6:45, But it does not it does this not because it is the heart's nature to produce evil ideas but because as a result of the primal deception, in other words, our fallen nature, the remembrance of evil has become, as it were, a habit. It conceives most of its evil thoughts, however, as a result of the attacks of the demons. But we feel that all these evil thoughts arise from the heart. And for this reason, some people have inferred that sin dwells in the noose along with grace. They do not realize, however, that the noose being highly responsive makes its own the thoughts suggested to it by the demons through the activity of the flesh. It's kind of a long quote, but what I feel in my heart I should do... um, doesn't necessarily mean I should do it. So in other words, he says the devil sends us a thought. We think that it's coming from our heart and so we think "Oh, this is who I am. But that's not who we are. We're actually almost done with this section. Uh, Saint Hezekiah says, if our noose is inexperienced in the art of watchfulness, it at once begins to entertain whatever impassioned fantasy appears in it and it implies it with illicit questions and responds to it illicitly. That's coupling. Then he says our own thoughts Are conjoined to the demonic fantasy, which waxes and burgeons until it appears lovely and delectable. Eve Eve said, that fruit looks really delicious and it, it looks like it could make one wise. It could give one power. It looks so good to eat. And so, see, He's saying that the fantasy, the temptation, mixes itself with our own thoughts or vice versa. Because of our conversation, our own thoughts are joined to the demonic fantasy. And then it it becomes like it seems to be part of who we are. So then we we just go for it. Um, I think we can end there. We'll end again with the dog. So what starts out as just a dog barking becomes a distraction and a real dilemma. A barking dog, even a pursuing dog, is nothing more than a noisome distraction unless I allow it to break into my reality, into my thoughts. In other words, unless I consider it, entertain it, and couple with it, with the destruction and fear it represents. So, I mean the dog analogy only goes so far. We should probably not let dogs attack us, but you get what I'm saying. It's a barking dog and it doesn't have to control our lives. So glory to God, we will, um, well Father could make some announcements then I suppose, but I appreciate your time and your attention tonight. God bless you. Have a good evening.